Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome to the 100th BitCast. I've been doing this for 100 episodes now, and I have nothing to show for it. But I still have fun doing it, and today I'm going to talk about a really special game, Chrono Trigger. And I am joined by... Waluigi in the flesh. Okay, Waluigi. So, do you have anything to say about Chrono Trigger as we get into it? Well, I'd like to talk more about my not-inclusion from Smash Brothers thus far. <laughs> and it's really disappointing. Okay, Chrono Trigger. Hi, folks. Uh, so, Chrono Trigger is a very, very important game, including a lot of programmers put together called The Dream Team, uh, animated with the character concepts by Kiri Toriyama of uh, Dragon Ball Z fame. Really, just an all-around amazing product, like the music, the visuals, the story. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, Chrono Trigger is... I wouldn't call it a perfect game, because I don't really think any game is without a problem, but it is probably the closest to a perfect game I could ever imagine. It just does so many things right, and it was it was practically lightning in a bottle because they made Chrono Cross a couple years later, and that wasn't nearly as popular. Wasn't the Chrono Trigger close to the end of the Super Nintendo's life cycle? Uh, I believe it was somewhere around that time, yeah. So, I mean, it really shows, because uh, they really take advantage of all the hardware capabilities of the Super Nintendo. They use Mode 7 a couple times. Uh, they pack so many tracks and music into it, and just everything they do with their limited sprites is... Sorry to repeat myself, but mind-blowing. Yeah, Chrono Trigger has a lighting engine. By itself? Yeah, the game has a lighting engine. You'll notice in some areas, based on where the characters are standing, only parts of their... Sprite will be shaded or not. Yeah, I remember that was really... Be, having grown up with it, I just thought that that was standard, but now that I'm older and can look back at other games of the time, it's really amazing that they were able to incorporate something seemingly so simple as shade. Yeah, Chrono Trigger pioneered a lot of things. I think the biggest thing I think of when I think of Chrono Trigger invented that would be the concept of the New Game Plus. Yes, and... uh Boy, it's stuck around for quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we have uh, people like Mario introducing the 3D platformer. We have Sonic uh, just out there doing his Sonic best. <laughs> and we have Chrono Trigger here uh, pioneering that. Uh, I was playing the new Fire Emblem game before you showed up, and I was in the middle of a new Game Plus file there. It's just amazing to think it all goes back to Chrono Trigger. It just seems like a no-brainer as a way to ostensibly double the playtime. Yeah. I mean, some genres pull it off better than others. Oh, yeah, of course. This is the kind of thing that works best in an RPG. I mean, you could argue that uh, these like cookie-clicker idler games are completely founded on the idea of a new game plus. The what? Okay, so it's this game where you press a button and a number goes up. And you press that enough times, you use that number to buy things to make your number go up faster, or automatically, so you don't have to click it. Is this some kind of phone game? It's a 
giant share of the mobile game market, yes. There's a lot of games like this. I'm playing one right now, actually. See, I don't but, do a lot of mobile games, so... But anyway, you get to a point in these games uh, where you can reset, and they'll give you these numbers. And these numbers make it so that you can get back to that number faster, and it's essentially a new game plus, and that's all you do in the game. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I'm not really into mobile games. I can't even get into the Mario mobile games. Yeah, that one was a swing and a miss. Yeah, that Dr. Mario one, which was bit 94, if you're interested in hearing me talk about Dr. Mario for 20 minutes. <laughs> Man, we're really good at staying on topic. <laughs> so Chrono Trigger. I think most of the people who would care about the game already know everything that happens and stuff. I know Chugga Conroy just recently finished a Let's Play of it. A lot of times when I go through the internet and I see a video of Chrono Trigger, I'm like, hey, what can you tell me that I don't already know? I don't think we can really compete with all of their knowledge and factual databases. No, no, we really can't. Just offer some neat little vignettes, our own personal thoughts. I'll say that I played the DS version for the first time about three years ago. Oh yeah, I've been wanting to pick that up. How is it? Uh... I'd say it's good. The translation is different, but I didn't really pay that too much mind. Mm -hmm. And just being able to play Chrono Trigger wherever was good. Yeah. Uh, the new content they added, I only experienced some of it, but a lot of it was kind of unnecessary. One thing, I'd go as far as to say it's outright bad. And then they add the animated cutscenes from the PlayStation 1 version, and I think those are more distracting than anything else. It kind of breaks the immersion to show this weird animated cutscene of what you just already saw, but with fewer characters to account for the fact that your party is different, and I didn't really need to see that. It uh, goes back to representation versus presentation. Uh, with the little 16-bit character, 32? Uh, Super Nintendo was, uh, 16-bit, I think? Anyway, with these little 16-bit avatars, you could project, like, your own thoughts onto it. It's much like reading a book. You paint this picture in your head, and then you go see the movie, and it's not what you pictured at all. I mean, granted, Toriyama did design the characters, and that was the programmers, uh, downscaling it, but it's just kind of weird to see them side by side what it's supposed to be versus what you actually play as. Yeah, I'm more attached to the in-game versions of everything compared to the official artwork or the animated cutscenes, and I think a lot of people actually agree with me there. I'll be honest, outside of Dragon Ball in its entirety, I'm not the biggest fan of Toriyama's art style. I'll even look at Dragon Quest stuff and go, meh. I mean, he does have a very distinct style. The big dumb hair, the, the giant eyes, the tiny mouth and chin. Yeah, he has a unique style. You can always tell it's him. But so many cornerstones of modern anime came from his drawings. Namely, the big eyes and big dumb hair. Uh, maybe. Well, now that I think about it, he has done Dragon Quest drawings since at least... 
Dragon Quest 3, and I don't know if you know this, but Dragon Quest 3 is a big deal in Japan. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, it's... Like, I would almost say it's their Chrono Trigger, except even bigger. Oh, wow. I can safely say I have zero contact with the Dragon Quest franchise. I played a few minutes of Dragon Quest IV and then eventually sold it, and it was the DS version. Uh, here, 11S is coming out, but I don't want to, like, skip in the story. So uh, I nah. I can tell you, it's not really one of those g game series where each one is the next one. They're all kind of their own thing. But, like, if you do go through them, I'm sure there's got to be some extra tidbits. Yeah, there's little references and stuff, but they're designed so that you can just start in any of them. That's why I didn't play Assassin's Creed for so long. I couldn't find the first one. Well, I think that's a little more connected than the Dragon Quests are, but what about Chrono Trigger? <laughs> Chrono Trigger. American Dragon Quest. Kind of. Chrono Trigger is definitely a big deal, I think. It's a big deal among the people who remembered it and played it, and I think we've tried to pass it along and keep it alive. Like, Don't let the flame die out! <laughs> yeah, anytime I do have a chance to recommend it, I definitely do. It was a big part of my our video game experience growing up. Oh yeah, some of my earliest video game memories was watching our dad playing Chrono Trigger. And then uh, years later using his New Game Plus to finance our own playthrough. Yeah, I, I think I did that too. <laughs> it's just easier, we don't have to find all this stuff. Yeah. We can do the fun things, like the go-kart race. Yeah, we can just we can just stomp through everything with our higher levels. But we did... Uh, I did, at least eventually go back and give it a real shake. I didn't do that until the DS version. Yeah, and you didn't get all the way through it. No, 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 I did. I did. <laughs> well, you said you didn't do all the cut content. I mean, the added content. Well, whatever. those are all side things. They're not important to the story. Okay, one of them is a side thing that's not connected to anything. One of them is unlocked in the late game. I did that one, and it sucked. More on that later. The other thing only appears once you beat Lavos legitimately at the end of the Omen. So you'd have to do that during a new game plus, and I didn't do that yet. Point taken. So, yeah, I did beat Chrono Trigger eventually. I even had an entire narrative about how I tried to cheese my way into a new game plus, but I failed, so I started from the beginning and worked my way up, and I felt really accomplished for myself. And then some of my online associates were smack-talking me behind my back, like, yeah, that's just how every RPG goes. It's not special. I was like, okay, F you. <laughs> but, yeah, Chrono Trigger is not a hard game, I'll grant that much. It's definitely a game that has a lot of different solutions for whatever problems they throw at you. It focuses a lot on world-building, for sure. And the narrative of the story. Yeah, a lot of people say that Chrono Trigger is a series of climaxes. I could see that. I see it too. I don't think it's entirely truthful. Uh, I think once you uh, once you start making the march to Magus's castle around halfway through the game, 
everything from that point on is a highlight, with the exception of the Chained Mountain. That was, that was kind of lame for me. I have never been a huge fan of the Dark Ages. Well, really? That's like a fan favorite. Yeah, that's not mine. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about the different eras now and kind of what we think of the, each one. Should we go chronologically or as they're revealed? Uh, let's, I think it's better to go as they're introduced. All right. So the story starts in the present, which is kind of meaningless. 1999. No, no, it starts in 1000. 1000. That's, that's Chrono's time, and this kind of has... I, I want to say it has the least problems going on. There's a few things to do here, but... It's a fairly prosperous time in human history. Yeah. You're, it's just kind of an idyllic, faux-medieval time period. It's definitely not advanced, but you've got some technology that you wouldn't expect to see in 1000. Much less 87. Yeah. You know, the year 87. <laughs> no, 1987, <laughs> this technology would still be pretty dang advanced. I mean, Gato, you beat him up and you win 15 silver points. That's a giant singing robot. You don't you don't imagine that. Yeah, the best I can get my giant singing robot to do is two silver pieces. <laughs> and, in fact, the entire plot kicks off because your best friend invented a teleportation machine. Yeah, that's... I mean... Oh, it's fiction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, come on. What, what are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a train wreck of a sentence, wasn't it? Uh, people are going to say, oh, but it's fiction. Of course they can have certain allowances for what they can do at what time period and whatnot, but if you want to... Human... <clears throat> I don't think anyone's complaining about 1000 AD. Well, <clears throat> I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, so oh well. I think the different levels of technology does a bit to demonstrate that this isn't exactly our world, and it kind of gives the Chrono Trigger world a bit of its own identity. It lives inside of its own timeline. Yeah. And then you meet Marl and her magic plot necklace and stuff, and she gets sent to 600 AD. The Middle Ages. Yeah, which... 1,000 would be the Middle Ages to us, so it's it's kind of interesting how they've got these different time periods in relation to 1,000. Like, we're supposed to follow Chrono's perspective on the whole thing, so 1,000 would be the present, even though we're, like, an entire millennium away from that. We're a post- we're living in a post-Lavos world. Ugh. According to some of my friends, we are. <laughs> but... Yeah, 600 AD, the Middle Ages, or the Middle-er Ages, maybe. Middlest. It's by far the closest to 1000 AD. It shares a map. Some details are different, but the world is definitely... You can tell how everything's supposed to lead to 1000. It's mostly meant to set up the idea of time travel. Yeah, most of the eras could stand on their own, but 600 and 1000 are meant to be kind of a pair, I think. One has obvious implications for the other, more so than any of the other eras. 
Yep, and the actions that take place in the Middle Ages have a much, like, it's a lot shorter turnaround to see results on your actions. Yeah. I think 400 years is still a pretty... Well, it's as quick as we're gonna get, like... Yeah. <laughs> what, are we gonna time travel the next week? Like... <laughs> For as large a gap as 400 years is, it's still the closest that any two eras are in this game. And in this era, you've got to deal with the threat of the fiend lord, Magus, and his monster henchmen encroaching on the kingdom that you grew up in in your time. So you need to prevent the paradox and stop the attack. Yeah, the first thing that happens is that the queen goes missing, and Marl, who got teleported to this time, got mistaken for the queen, and the entire quest to save the queen from the cathedral is a really good way into introducing to the audience just the ripple effects that this game will introduce with time travel. And shoot, there's still like five generations between then and now. Yeah, well, if you kill off the queen then they'll stop all the other ones. They'll remarry. <laughs> yeah, but it won't be the same moral. Right, right. So after uh, the Middle Ages, you take off to the 65 million BC. No, you go to the future. Yeah, after the first stint in the Middle Ages, you have to deal with some ripple effects in the present to just further hammer in the... Your actions have consequences. Yeah. And then you escape to an unknown time, which you shortly figure out is 2300 AD. It is the distant future. You've got domes, you've got robots, you've got mutants and stuff, and everything is a wreck. So you uh, travel inside these dome-looking structures, and you just find trash scattered everywhere, monsters. No, all the domes had names. I think the ruins were the ones that had numbers. Right, right. But it was... No, oh, no, I don't remember which one it was. Protodome. Uh, no, I think that's where you find Robo. <sighs> I think in uh, Eris Dome, that's when you discover the footage of a day in 1999, which was not too long after the game was released, so that was a nice Y2K scare there. <laughs> but you meet Doan, the leader, that's spelled D-O-A-N. Uh, apparently he's a very distant relative of Marl. Uh, I, like, I like how we've introduced Doan before we've ever said Luca's name or mentioned Frog at all. Forget Luca, forget Frog. <laughs> they don't get to join our party yet. Actually, yeah, Luca, your friend, the scientist, uh, helped Chrono go back to the Middle Ages to rescue Marl. Then you come back in time, and the people think that you uh, kidnapped Marl, so they put you in jail, you break out, and you go to the future. Alright, we're all caught up. Frog is a frog knight man who helped you in the Middle Ages. He lives there. He Brief leaves. Briefly. He was like, these people are cool. I'm going to use my sword a bit with them. <clears throat> anyway, we're in the future. We meet Doan. He tells us to go somewhere and find a plant. So basically the plot of Wally. -E. Yeah, the last bit of food that they can possibly harvest and cultivate. And while you're there, you find footage of 1999, like I was trying to say before, before we got into Doan. We needed context for Doan. He's the most important <laughs> character. <laughs> so, I find that on that day, a giant 
pointy monster erupted from the ground, just started spewing lasers everywhere. And this was Lavos. This is a giant monster that destroyed the world and made it what it is today for the next 301 years or so. Completely unexpected. No one knows why it came or how it got there. What I want to say is that it's a really plot-defining moment when Marl sees the footage of Lavos and she decides, you know what, no. Our planet deserves better than this. We should go stop him. We can time travel. Let's do it. And Luca and Chrono are like, okay. And you start to manifest all of the destiny. That is not the reference to make there. <laughs> but uh, you use the robot. You go find a seed. You give it to them because they don't know when their uh, heal tank... Okay. They step in this heal tank, and they get all their energy back, but they're still hungry. So they need to find food. So they go to get the seed, they bring it back, and then they're like, okay, uh, let's go back in time to stop Lavos. But because Luca, Marl, Chrono, and Robo are all trying to time travel, they end up at the end of time. Oh yeah, well, we should talk about Robo a little bit. What? Well, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, you wanted to talk about Doan. Let's talk about the important characters, actually. I am a staunch robophobe. <laughs> so you meet Robo, who is a good boy, and he's busted when you find him. Luca fixes him up, and when you go to one of... I don't know if it's his old factory, because both the factories in the game could be argued as his home, but... You go into a factory, and you meet some palette swaps of Robo, and they're all like, dude, why are you hanging out with humans? You're supposed to hate humans. You get the impression that Luke uh, took that part out of him, because she even had dialogue like that when she was first fixing him up. He gets absolutely wrecked. Yeah, so <clears throat> Chrono and whoever followed you to the factory beat up Robo's twin brothers or something, and then you fix Robo again. And Robo decides to stay with you because, hey, he has nothing else left to do in this time period. So Robo is the first guest character to join your cause for good. Yeah. Then you go to the end of time. Where you meet Specchio. Yeah, Specchio, he gives the characters magic abilities. You also meet this old guy who will tell you what to do whenever you're lost and you go to the end of time. So, uh, it's at this point that the player knows that they can only have three people in their party at any given time. Yeah, that's how the game justifies the party system like that. What do you think of that? The party system? Well, the fact that you... What do you think of the fact that that's how they justify only taking three people? Uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't know enough about space and time travel to argue about it. Mm. I mean, but... From a layman's perspective, I could see how transporting more bodies would take more energy, and if it doesn't have that energy, it just spits them all out in this one convenient place. Yeah, the end of time, it's the next era introduced, and it's just home base, essentially. It's this realm where there's nothing, so you can just kind of catch a breather and figure out your next move before you go to any of the other times, because... You can suddenly go to all the other times from here. It is an inevitability. Yeah. Then 
like whether you win or lose, this little platform in the middle of nowhere will always be there. Yeah. And you go back to the present and you learn, oh, this Magus guy from the Middle Ages, he made Lavos, huh? So that becomes your next goal, is Magus in the Middle Ages, he made Lavos, and he also attempted to kill the queen, so I guess you gotta kill him now. But it's interesting, because at the fair at the beginning of the game that you go to, you're already celebrating Magus's defeat 400 years ago, so you know that he didn't win the war, but you still gotta stop him from creating Lavos now. It's one of those pretty cool things where, like, I mean, it's a common time travel story trope where you really respect this person in the history books and you go back and you find out that that's actually you. Kind of. It's, uh, well, uh, I want to talk about what happened to Magus a little bit later because there's a lot to unpack with him. Well, I was going to summarize the story up until storming his castle. Well, uh, along the way, though, that's... Okay, go ahead, then. All right, uh, well... You go to a mountain that the townspeople say leads there, but there's nothing there. So you go to try to find Frog. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, I'm so sad. I can't. I couldn't rescue the queen. Whatever." And my sword's busted. <laughs> so you take this half of the sword. Let's see. What happens is you have you hear that there's rumors of some kid who's a grand hero. Yeah. And you go to the mountains, and... Oh, yeah. You find the hilt of the Masamune. Yeah, which is a legendary sword that's supposed to be able to defeat Magus. And these two little kids walking it. Turns out that they're actually the spirits, Masa and Mune. And they live inside the sword, much like Thee. Yeah. So you take the hilt, and you go to Frog, and he's like, Whoa, I have the pointy end. That's pretty cool. And But it's like busted. What do we do? And who do have we met in the story that is a swordsmith? Melchior. Yeah, you meet a guy named Melchior as early as the beginning of the fair, so it's really good for planting him in your mind. And then you even encounter him on your way to one of the dungeons after you first leave the end of time. So they, they're they really good at you know keeping him relevant up to this point. And whatnot. This, is a, this is a game in general is really good at planting seeds and then cashing in on them later. If you pay attention, it's really worth it. Yeah, this is... Well, I mean, it helps that we were toddlers when we were first exposed to it, but it's a game that you can get something new out of it each time you come back to it. Like, oh yeah, that was that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess I must have forgotten that Specchio gives you magic. Yeah, but you're even encouraged to talk to him, and even once Frog joins you for good, if you use magic in front of him... He's like, whoa! Yeah, that's supposed to encourage the player to take Frog to the end of time to use <laughs> ma so he can learn magic too. Otherwise, the fight with Magus will be a lot harder. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, Mel you go in forward. You go forward in time to 1000 to find Melchior. And he's like, whoa! This sword! It can only be restored with this super hard to find stone. Uh, I like how we were just going to talk about the eras, but doing that required us to talk about the plot after all. Yeah. I'll say that's a strength of the game, is that each era is introduced at a, an appropriate time, and they all serve a purpose to the narrative. It's so context-reliant. 
you, you could actually go here, I think, as soon as you unlock the end of time, but now the plot directs you to 65 million BC dinosaur times and caveman times, even though they totally coexisted in this world. Yeah. They're actually at war with each other. So you look around uh, trying to find a chief, and they're like, oh, the strongest person lives over here, chief. And you find out it's this firecracker of a lady named Ayla. Yeah, you first meet her, this crazy cavewoman, and she's busting heads. And then you follow her to her village, and it's like, oh, she's the chief. And she'll give you the rock you need if you party with her. Specifically, if you can outdrink her. Yeah. Except, the once you're all hung over, her jealous boyfriend loses the device you need to leave that's prehistory. A, that's heavily in air quotes. He lost it. Yeah, well, I think... Yeah, he did actually lose it after he stole it because the reptites took it from him. Oh, uh, yeah, so you gotta go employ the de-lizardinator. That's what Chrono named his sword in my game. Okay. <laughs> Did you not have that build? No. It was like a post-beta type of deal. What are you even talking about? Anyway, uh, you get the redstone. Hooray. Yeah, you get the redstone and, and you... can you... finally play Minecraft. Yes, finally. You team up with Ayla, you get the gate key back. L let me remind you... Well, let me say for the first time that the gate key is how you use the wormholes to travel through time... Oh yeah, it was stolen after the party too. Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. I thought it was the redstone. No, I think you already won the redstone. It's just now you need the way home. Yeah, you don't want to be trapped in... Minecraft, the way home. I mean, isn't it? <laughs> if you knew what I was referencing, you'd probably get a giggle out of it. But, yeah, the, you, you're introduced to Ayla's conflict with the reptites, who are lizard people, and... It's funny because the Reptites play an important role in the backstory of Chrono Cross, despite being kind of C-list villains in this game. Uh -huh. But prehistory, you, you can tell, that's the big thing. It's the cave people versus Reptites. Uh -huh. So it's kind of like the Middle Ages, where the big war is what's going on. And it's a nice jab at how history repeats itself with these never-ending wars of humans and non-humans. Yeah, just like against unlike. Mm -hmm. Star-bellied sneeches. Yeah. So, I think it's after this point is when the game becomes a series of high points for the most part, in my opinion. Because now we get the sword fixed, we take it to Frog, he's like, alright, I'm gonna stop angsting. And we find out that he used to be a guy named Glenn, and he was best friends with this hero that has mysteriously gone missing. Oh wait, Magus killed him. Coolest name ever. Glenn. That's a neat name. And so Frog Glenn joins your party for good, and you go storm Magus's castle, which is one of the most memorable parts of the game for a lot of people. And it's located at the end of this awful Pokemon-style tunnel. As in, you get in a fight every two steps. Oh, yeah. And you have to beat up Magus's henchmen, who are all, in the translation, all named after musicians. Ozzy, Flea, and Slash. Yeah, I think in 
the original Japanese, in true Toriyama fashion, they're all named after condiments or something. <laughs> that makes sense. So you fight Magus at the end of the castle, and it's this grand spectacle. It's this real climax. We even get unique boss music. Best track in the game. It's got to be up there. And then once you beat Magus, you find out, no, he didn't create Lavos. He was just trying to summon Lavos for some reason. And his spell to summon Lavos turned the castle into a giant time portal, and the castle collapses in on itself, and you wake up back in prehistory. 65 million BC. But where's Magus? Oh. So you go and find Ayla, because she's your established contact in this time period. Yeah, she she actually took you in. Mm -hmm. And the Reptite War is heating up. So you gotta better do something about that, huh? Yeah. I mean, might as well. They, the Reptites ambushed this other village of cave people that you hadn't really heard of until now. Mm -hmm. But they're friends with the Dactyls, which are what they sound like. And Ayla wants them to give Dactyl. Are they basically Stegosaurus? Yes! I knew it! And you follow Ayla up to this cliff where all the Dactyls are, and you can actually see this flashing star in the distance. The fun fact, I told you you could go to prehistory as soon as you unlock the end of time. Yeah. If you go to the top of the Dactyl nest, you can still see the star even then. Wow. And uh, pay attention to that star for later. This will be on the test for all... Three of you who've never played this game. And all two of you who are missing. Yeah. You follow Ayla to the Reptite Lair. Well, another lair is technically the other place. This is the Tyranno Castle, I guess. And Oh, Tyranno Castle. It's the climax of the prehistoric world. But it's like other parts of the game hidden behind like 20 battles or so. And then there's this exceptionally difficult boss fight. At least the, at least all the music's good. I mean, the music is fantastic all throughout the game. I mean, the guy worked himself nearly into a coma. Yeah, Yatsunori Mitsuda, I think. He actually he actually needed some help finishing the soundtrack, so some of the music was actually done by other artists. I mean, I just remember that it was largely just the one guy. Oh yeah, he did most of it. Like, I think he was weirdly insistent on having sound effects custom or something. Well, like, I don't know I don't that, remember. but I do know that a lot of the sound effects are burned into my memory. Especially, like, uh, the common enemies disappearing. Yeah, like, all the sound effects for enemies dying, all the sound effects for moving through the menus in battles, the different attack sounds, because most of the attacks have different sound effects unique to them. They're very well-engineered sounds. Yes. This game is really smartly designed in terms of sound. Uh, yeah, among all the other ways it's smartly designed. I mean, yeah. Now I'm just thinking of all those meme videos of so-and-so, but with Ed, Ed, and Eddie sound effects. Now I'm imagining so-and-so, but with Chrono Trigger sound effects. <laughs> but uh, going back to the music, the the second boss theme, the more the more big, dynamic boss theme of the two. I actually associate that more with the boss of the Tyranno Lair more than with Masamune when it was first introduced. 
that soft piano piece? No, the Oh yeah. Bum ba bum ba. Very powerful piece. And uh, you beat Zala, who is the reptite leader, and her giant dinosaur, and you get out of dodge while a meteor crashes into the Tyranno castle. And it's weirdly spiky. Yeah. It's at that point the party realizes that the meteor, which was that star from the top of the dactyl nest, is actually Lavos itself. <gasps> he was here all along. Yeah. That's what Magus meant by summoning Lavos. You see that Lavos was actually an alien this whole time, which just introduces an entire new layer to this story, I think. It's very War of the Worlds. I mean, like, the aliens were already here, and then the lightning strikes them, wakes them up, and then they go on mass rampage. So that's how it happened. Yeah. At least in the book. I think in the movie, the lightning puts it there. What about the audio drama? I'm not well-versed. No, yeah, it was more of like a series of news events telling the world about the current apocalypse that's happening right now. Hmm. Well, anyway, you follow Lavos into the crater, and you find a time hole that leads you to the final era of the game, 12,000 BC. What we first see is an ice age, and there's really nothing to interact with until you go into this portal... And suddenly, you're in a floating kingdom in the sky, and everybody is a magician, and they're all kind of hedonistic and arrogant, and... A very enlightened age. Yeah, this is the stereotypical lost advanced age that you see in stories. Uh, to compare, it would be such as when blue fire was a thing in Breath of the Wild. It's like that kind of ancient technology, like way, way back in time. Like you don't know how it still works, how it does work. Yeah, and you're in the Zeal Kingdom, and they've got a level of technology that's actually comparable to 1000 AD, and they all know who Lavos is in the Zeal Kingdom. They all use Lavos as a power source. I mean, that's just smart. And... That's why I feel like the introduction of 12,000 BC is really masterfully done, because this is the timepiece, this is the time era that connects everything together. It's the last piece of the puzzle, and it has the most juice in it. Maybe that's why I never really liked it. I was too young and dumb to read all of it. Yeah, this, like I said, this is a game where a lot of the implications become more clear as you keep revisiting it. Mm -hmm. But you see the Queen of Zeal and her children and her Oaf Dalton, and they're all bad news. Hmm. Like you're, you're built up throughout your entire visit through the kingdom, especially the palace when the music becomes more ominous, that this queen is not up to any good, especially with her reliance on Lavos, mm -hmm. to the point where you eventually get kicked out of this time period and you have to find another way through. Always weird how that happens, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> but, I mean, if they've got the magic, it's to stop them. Yeah. And so for the first time ever since the beginning of the game, you have to go back to the future. You've been leaving the future alone 
ever since you left with Robo. Every other period, you've been to at least twice now. Because you've basically done everything in the future, right? Yeah, the future... I say that 1,000 has the least to do. That's actually more arguable than I thought, because you don't really have a lot to do in the future, because... I think Everything's the fu- already been done. Yeah, I think the future, as a playable time period... Oh, there's a dog in the background. He has a lot to say about the future. Mm-hmm. High hopes. <laughs> but th- I think the future, as a playable time period... Apart from the stuff you did at the beginning of the game, mostly exists to serve to remind you what you're doing this for. But they give you a few extra things to do anyway, like getting a time machine. Oh yeah, the epoch. Yeah, you get a time machine and it allows you to go back to the uh, the Dark Ages, or Antiquity as it's called in the DS version. And you can just fly all over the map. You don't have to go through those stupid tunnels anymore. Nah, you, you can't fly just yet. You can't? No, that, that's a bit later. Oh. But you can't go back to the Zeal Kingdom anymore, so you have to go talk to the Earthbound people, who are all the people who don't have magic. Considered the lower class. Yeah. Another war between man and man. Yeah. And this is when you have to go to the Mountain of Woe, and this place is always kind of lame to me, even though it looks cool. I think this is the last low point of the game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Everything after this is just a high point in one way or another. But you meet... you have to save this guru from the mountain for some reason, and you do, and hey, it's Melchior! You're not really sure what he's doing here, but you already knew that he there was more to him than meets the eye. He was seriously wondering how we got the Masamune, and if that's 400 years after his time, aside from being a well-renowned swordsmith, how would he know about this ancient, supposedly broken sword? Yeah, because up until the point where you see Melchior with your own eyes, he's exclusively been referred to by his title, so that's a really good way for the game to pull the rug under people with who Melchior really is. Now, here's where the game gets really fuzzy for me. Okay, I can... Well, this is like a climax almost to surpass Magus's castle. To surpass Metal Gear? <laughs> yes! Whoa. You have to go into the Ocean Palace that the Zeal Kingdom has had the Enlightened Ones construct for them. I always hate games with the water temples. It's not really a water temple. You just said Water Palace. Well, it's underwater, but there's no water gimmick to it. Okay. They're closer to where Lavos is, so they can use more of their power. And as you go through the Ocean Palace, there's just this background music that plays, and it doesn't even get interrupted by the combat music or anything. It just keeps playing. That's how you know how serious the situation is. That was. I always felt like that was really well done. Uh... Anytime uh, the game tries to set immersion with a certain track and then interrupts it to do meaningless battle music, I'm looking at you, Twilight Princess. It always really takes me out at the moment. Are you talking about that bit where Midna's dying? Yes, specifically. Yeah, it was a bit, bit weak. But this isn't the first time Chrono Trigger has 
kept the battle music going, and it won't be the last time, but it's probably the most significant time. Mm -hmm. And you just hurry through the Ocean Palace while the Masa and Mune spirits of this era are urging you to hurry, and you just have to keep going, and Zeal's getting all hopped up on Lavo's hype. Mm -hmm. So eventually you get to the bottom, and Melchior gave you this knife at one point. He wants you to plunge it into the machine she's using to siphon Lavos. You do, and it turns into the Masamune. That's how it was created. Who'd have thought my little Swiss army knife would have turned into the greatest sword of all time? Yeah, and then Lavos wakes up, because Queen Zeal kept kicking him in his sleep, I guess. And... He just wakes up and just starts destroying the Sky Kingdom. The fall of zeal. Yeah, they grew too arrogant. They're hubris. And then the fact that there are a bunch of Sky Islands falling into the ground, that creates massive tidal waves. It ends up drenching the Earth people, too. So now all that's left is this little pocket of humanity. But aside from all that in the death toll... We also have to include Chrono himself. Yes, Chrono dies. Yeah, and the thing about Chrono dying is this was still kind of a novel concept, the protagonist dying on you halfway through the game. I mean, usually it happens, but it's just a game over. But this time, it's supposed to happen. So you go through a bit of a level where you kind of tie up some of the loose ends with Dalton, and he slaps wings on your machine, so now it can fly around. Now you don't have to go through the stupid tunnels. Well, you, you, you didn't have to anyway. Like As soon as you get the time machine, you're, you're pretty good to just go to any era. You take care of Dalton, you get your own flying machine, and then someone has something to say to you over in one of the last islands, and it's Magus! Hey, there he is. So now we should probably talk about Magus a bit more, is after your fight with him, he ended up in antiquity and decided to pose as a prophet so he could kind of guide Zeal into summoning Lavos so he could kill Lavos, because that's what he wanted all along. But he got beat up too badly. So he's actually on our side. Kind of. If, yeah, literally all he wants is to kill Lavos. He doesn't care about the war with the humans in 680. That was all his henchmen. And he just he wants to kill Lavos because he's from this time period. He was a little boy that you met at one point, and he had a cat, and he was Zeal's son, and he had this sister who was really nice, and now she's gone. Named Shala. Yeah, and she ended up being a lot of, a lot more important in Chrono Cross. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of done with her in this game. And Oh man, the Shala rumors. There, were, I remember this was you know back before a lot more investigative work was the norm on the internet. But there were rumors that you could find her and get her to join your party at some point. I mean, I wouldn't really want her in my party. Well, she's like a child. She she's about Chrono's age. Well, yeah, but Chrono's cooler. Anyway, <laughs> so you get the epoch with the wings. Yeah, and you, you meet Magus, you can optionally kill him, or just let him follow you. I, who would kill Magus? Because, like, he's obviously a very strong character, and you want strong characters, right? Well, the way to let him join you isn't as a, hey, can I follow you? <laughs> 
It's more like, hey, he just insulted Chrono. The music's flaring up. Are you going to fight him? And if you say no, then it's like, he'll just leave you alone and then just start following you. But if you say yes, you fight him, you kill him. That's it. What a terrible way to end his story. Yeah. I think it's just overall better to let him tag along. And I think most people do it anyway, unless they're doing some kind of challenge run. Genocide. <laughs> yes, the Chrono Trigger genocide route. We gotta finish what Lavo started. <laughs> That's when the Ocean Palace rises up from the sea, and it takes on a new form. It's the Black Omen, and it transcends time. It exists in all time periods now, except for prehistory, of course. Or the end of time. Yeah. And this is the end game. Everything you do from here on is optional, as long as you kill Lavos at some point. Mm-hmm. The right way to do it is to go into the Black Omen. Yeah. After making sure that you brought along enough shelters, tonics, mid-ethers, that good stuff. Yeah, this is when the game unlocks a lot of side quests. Most of them are just wrapping up loose ends associated with all the different characters. Getting the best weapons, armor, etc. And a lot of them are really good at character moments and world building and cashing in on seeds that were planted much earlier. Seeds that you yourself plant and check on through all different time periods. And, of course, there's the side quest of resurrecting chrono from the dead oh yeah forgot about that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know just the title character <laughs> you have the ability to resurrect him if you go through a dungeon in the future you don't have to do it but again most people do it yeah chrono's the strongest character why wouldn't you do it yeah you know they were originally planning on keeping chrono dead that would be different if they didn't let him stay dead like, if I have the option to keep Chrono, I will. Yeah, but I'm talking about the developers. One of the early drafts of the story was the party realizing, hey, we need Chrono for this. So they abduct a version of Chrono from slightly before the beginning of the story. And, I don't know, I guess they train him up or something. Bring him to kill Lavos, then let him go back to his version of 1000, knowing melancholically... Is that the word? But he's going to die. They they know that he's going to eventually die, and despite all that he would contribute. And it was kind of sad, and they ended up not going with that. I mean, I think they made the right decision. Yeah, I think the fact that it's a choice to bring Chrono back is a good compromise. So you I... rescue Chrono, and then you storm the Black Omen. Yeah, you rescue Chrono, and then you do the side quest, because most people do the Chrono one first. Yeah. But, before we get to the Black Omen, I want to tell you about a little thing called the Lost Sanctum. What? Oh, this is the added content. Yeah, right there in the cutscene where the Black Omen comes to life, you get green portals in prehistory and the Middle Ages. And it's this side dungeon village area that reuses a lot of assets from other parts of the game. Of visuals, a lot of monsters, a lot of music, to the point where a lot of it seems like it's been slapped together without any real rhyme or reason. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is backtracking, not only between the two versions of the Lost Sanctum, but between 
the individual versions, you have to go back and forth, and you have mandatory fights in in the way, interrupting your backtracking. Yay! My favorite part. To do all these weird side quests, and it's just really annoying. I hated it. I, I actually was not having fun when I did it. I did it once, and then I decided never again. <laughs> now, at the end of The Lost Sanctum... I think the final challenge, one of the final challenges is to beat these monsters in the prehistoric version. And then in the Middle Ages version, you have to go to the end of this tower or something, and you find that they built statues to their gods, and these statues end up being statues of your party, because Weird. you've done so much for these people. They basically look up to you as gods now. Ugh. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. It's not worth it, though. I don't know if I would want to be worshipped as a god ever. That's just too much. Well, it's basically just saying that your characters are their heroes. Mm. You've made a difference. You've made their lives better. And, again, it's it's a nice sentiment, but it's not really worth going through all it. If, if you're doing The Lost Sanctum, you're doing it for the equipment you get from it and the money. Right. But the game is already kind of easy, and there's already good stuff there. You don't really need... To go through the Lost Sanctum. But you can. You can. Yeah. So then we storm the Black Omen. Yeah, and gotta be honest, never really cared for the Black Omen. Pretty weak. Annoying enemies. It's just just a gauntlet going through a bunch of difficult enemies, and, and I like how unique most of it is. I just don't like it because it means the game is almost over. <laughs> That's my gripe with the Black Omen. There's 17 endings. Uh, yeah, you beat up Zeal, you beat up the remains of her mammon machine. Uh, oh, oh, yo, we didn't... One of the bosses in the Black Omen is a baby Lavos. We didn't talk about the baby Lavoses. Oh, the spawn. Yeah, you... That's where I learned that word. Oh. Huh. Well, you, uh, on the way to rescue Chrono, you climb a mountain in the future that's supposed to be the remains of Lavos's shell, and you see the baby Lavoses, and then one of them appears in the Black Omen, and you get the implication that not only is Lavos an alien, Lavos is just one of many, and there's gonna be more Lavoses doing the same thing to other planets. So, like, the world will actually end if this goes unchecked. Yeah, but the thing about Lavos is, it might not even be evil. Yeah, it's just leaves destruction in its wake because that's just how it does it. It's just a. It's, it's very human. Kind of. It's it's just an animal. It's a parasite. Mm -hmm. It's it's not doing this because oh, gotta get those humans. I don't think it really even has the capacity for higher levels of thought. It's just this beast. Kind of. So, after you smash the Black Omen, you fight Lavos for good, because, hey, might as well at this point, we've gotten stronger than before. All this time, they were looking for ways to prevent Lavos, but now, they're just at the last resort of killing Lavos with conventional weaponry. You smash Lavos, and you go inside its shell, and there's this giant buff alien-looking thing in there. And it's supposed to be the height of evolution. Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, for, I don't know how this happened, but for some reason we started joking that the inner Lavos was actually just a form of Tim Curry. 
Spice! And then after you beat the giant Lavos, you get a small humanoid-looking thing, and this is the culmination of every dominant species' DNA. Every creature and species that has been allowed to thrive for the n nearly 2,000... Well, longer than 2,000 years. Ever since it arrived, it's, Lavos has been nurturing and guiding all the different species so it can take and pick the best parts for its little humanoid core character. Oh, what do they call that? Uh, eugenics? Something like that. But yeah, he's been cherry-picking these DNA traits just to build the perfect muscle man. Yeah, it's this weird scuba diver-looking monster. Very much like Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yes, the part where he put on a bunch of scuba gear. Yeah, just at the very end you fight Rocky. Oh, <laughs> but <laughs> you, uh... You fight him and his two malted milkshake-looking monsters in a wormhole that goes through all the eras, which I didn't really pick up on until I watched that Let's Play by Chugga Conroy. It really is the fitting final battleground for this game, is a wormhole going through all the times. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about the fight with Lavos and its milkshake things that bring all the time travelers to the yard is that... Can you teach me? <laughs> or would you have to charge? <laughs> but the... Uh, the right-hand bit, well, our right... Yeah. That's the true core of Lavos. You have to kill that to end the fight. But the other bit and the central bit kind of keep you from focusing on it. And intensely heal it. Yeah, and I think that's really neat that the final target isn't even the main monster. It's just this little thing off to the side. Just another way of throwing you off. Yeah, this game is really good at pulling the rug from under you on your first time. So, uh, you defeat Lavos and everyone goes back to their times and it's happily ever after. Yeah, you get a happy ending. and It's a little different based on how you approached Lavos if you... If you did the Black Omen, then your mom chases your pet cat through into a time hole and you have to follow her. Or you could avoid the Black Omen entirely and just crash your flying time machine into Lavos' shell. I've done that. I've done that too. That's actually my preferred way, but I, I still did the Omen. Oh yeah, because when you're selecting your time on the epoch to go to, one of the options is the Apocalypse. And that's the day of Lavos. That's where I learned the word Apocalypse. Me too. In the DS version, though, they just call it the Cataclysm. Had to make it safer for those children to play, right? Is it really any safer? Antiquity? Just, it's the Dark Gate, come on. Well, I mean, it sounds a little more whimsical when you say antiquity, and I think that fits the whole age of magic thing they're going for. Like, the Dark Ages, that could also be the Middle Ages. But it's not really, it's not even really, like, the prehistory is more antiquated than that. Well, yeah, but, you know, prehistory, they kind of have a monopoly since they're prehistory. Touche. Like, they're the first ones. They, they got first dibs. Overall, but, I give this game a sausage out of a burger. What does that even mean? Yep. Okay, that is that is some 2007 LOL XD humor there. No. That makes sense.
Well, anyway, you beat Lavos, and that's when you get the new game plus, and that's when, uh, I don't think your money carries over, but most of your equipment does. All of your equipment does. And your items, well, no, you don't get, you don't keep the Masamune, but. Oh, well, yeah, because that's story-driven. Yeah, but you, you get to keep all that, you keep all the levels you have, you keep the techs you've learned. We haven't even talked about the, the, the gameplay, the combat system, how good it is. And in the DS version, you can unlock the Dimensional Vortex, which you can't really access until you get wings on your Epoch. Mm -hmm. Or Epic, I think, is the actual pronunciation. Epic! Uh, Lol, XD random. No, no, no. Play Epic Gamers. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're, you're borrowing from two different eras there of internet humor. But that's the bonus content I didn't do, but it actually connects a bit to Chrono Cross. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of discusses the poor invasion of Truce and Shala's new connection to Lavos. Bridges the gap a little more. Yeah. And there's an alternate Magus who loses his memories, so that might be how Guile is formed, because Guile in that game was supposed to be Magus at one point. Sick. Well, that's about it for Chrono Trigger, isn't it? Oh, well, that's the plot and stuff, but... I mean, we're already going on, like, an hour here. Oh, you know, this is the 100th episode. We can we can afford to splurge a bit. Okay. So, the gameplay, I didn't talk about it. I didn't really pick up on it until, again, watching the Let's Play, because I just kind of, oh, I'll do this as I play the game, la 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 la. Emil actually explains a lot of the nuances into it, how... A lot of your techs, they don't get outclassed just because you get more fancy ones. You can still get good use out of some of your early ones, even late into the game, because they'll serve different purposes based on the positional battle system or different uh, byproducts of each ability. But why use Lightning 2 when I could use Luminaire? Well, Luminaire is more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, unless you put on... Uh, an accessory on Chrono that reduces the cost of each tech, mm -hmm. which just makes Chrono practically a god at that point. That's basically what I did on my first playthrough with Dead's New Game Plus. I just luminated everything. And you can. <laughs> but sometimes you might want to use a different move just for the style points, and you totally can. The game will let you get away with it, usually. Like Luminaire. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, it's every character can be good. Every character has their own uses. There's, there's no real bad character. I think the closest thing to a bad character might be Luca for the fact that all she's really good at is very situational status abilities and fire attacks. Every other character can do at least two specialties. Like heal and this, or attack and water magic, or... And some characters even get more than one element of magic. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Robo gets a couple elements over time. Magus starts with a few elements. Oh, I forgot that Magus is a wild card. Yeah, Magus is pretty much the second best character because of his versatility with magic. Yeah, but at but they balance that by making him unable to do double techs with any characters. I think it's worth it. 
But it would have been cool to see what they could have come up with. Well, Magus is a part of some triple techs, but every triple tech that doesn't involve Chrono, because for the first chunk of the story, he's stuck in the party, they all require items, and I'll be honest, I think some of the triple techs are just, uh, we ran out of ideas, so it's this now, it's this and this going on. <laughs> yeah, the way they just kind of layer the animations on top of each other. Yeah. And some of them aren't really worth it, because you can get just as good an effect out of a previous double tech, or even a single tech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Magus doesn't play well with others, I guess. I, He's I, very much a loner, and the way he even plays reflects that. Yeah, it's a good integration of character and play style. That said, who would you say is your favorite character? Because we didn't really get go too much into everyone, but... He's not the best, but Froggy is my favorite character. Froggy's a good character. I mean, if we're talking assets in battle, it's definitely Chrono first. Oh yeah, Chrono's gotta be the best fighter of the bunch. He doesn't really have a character, though. No. He's a blank slate for you to project yourself onto. More or less. Which is a trope that only works sometimes. Yeah, I mean, these silent protagonists are a lot more forthwith with their risk-taking than I would ever be. Yeah, and I think nowadays most people are trying to avoid silent protagonists. I think Link is the last real one besides any given Dragon Quest character. Even Mario speaks all the time. Yeah, just not in RPGs, and even when he does, it's gibberish usually. Well... In the Fire Emblem game I was playing, the main character is essentially a silent protagonist. Little Mac. Is there really a lot of dialogue to be had in Punch-Out, though? You can talk to Doc Lewis, why not? Make a new Punch-Out, but it's like a text-based RPG. <laughs> yeah, okay. A point-and-click. Much like a dungeon... Uh, what am I thinking of? It's It was on the NES, so it was really hard. I don't know. going through a castle. What are you thinking of? <sighs> Shadowgate. I don't think I even know... Shadowgate. You don't remember Shadowgate? I don't remember Shadowgate. We had a 64 version of Shadowgate. Remember you had to sneak past that uh, guard that was playing the violin? That's what that game was. Yeah, Shadowgate. Oh. I remembered something today. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, Frog is a good character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Best theme music. I mean, I don't know, there's still Magus's theme music. Mm. Which, you, you even, earlier you said it was the best. I said it would, uh, probably, but I'm gonna change my mind. Magus is second best. Frog's theme is delightfully whistleable. Yeah, okay. Speaking of Magus's theme, uh, did you know that you can get it to play for another boss fight? I think you did. I, th hmm. I remember that, but I don't remember which boss. If you take Magus to the end of the Black Omen, it will play during Zeal's second form. Right, right, that's it. When he kills his, his evil mom. What a gamer move, by the way. A gamer move? <laughs> was, it, was that an epic gamer moment? It was an epic gamer moment, for sure. It, E3 there... sponsored it. Yeah, Magus posts on his Twitter, Me and the boys killing my mom. Grab some Mountain Dew and Doritos right after. I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, 
time periods, I think, what, I, I think the future is my least favorite time period, but it doesn't count because you're not really supposed to like the future. You're spending the whole game fixing it. <laughs> and it has a lot of good moments. I think my least favorite time period would probably be prehistory. That's your least favorite? Yeah. And even that one has a high point. I liked the Tyranno Castle. The Tyranno Castle is the best part. I think it's just all the weird nature stuff. Just the the first visit to prehistory just feels like kind of a lot of filler. And the fact that you only get to use half the map in prehistory is another thing. Yeah, because you can't really cross the giant ocean of lava. Yeah, there's a weird ocean of lava. And then even when you get the epic... There's just wilderness. You can't actually land anywhere on the other side. I mean, which I guess they can get away with because that could feasibly happen. Well, I think they wanted to give you another area to visit in prehistory, but then they had to cut it out, and then they referenced it in the dimensional vortex. I mean, there's already so much game. Yeah, it's a, it's a really short and fast game, but it never really feels like it. Amazingly, I put it all on that tiny little cartridge. So, you still think 12,000 BC might be the weakest time period for you? 12,000 BC, yeah. The Dark Ages? Well, I mean, I don't think it's weak, I just don't like it. Well, what don't you like about it? It, mm, it seems exceptionally linear. I mean, the game itself is already linear, but... This somehow finds a way to make that straight line up a path even straighter. Hmm. I guess it is kind of because as you navigate the Zeal Kingdom, you don't really have many directions to go. You have to follow this convoluted zigzaggy line all the way to the palace. It's annoying. I hate it. Okay, but you don't like the the story or the atmosphere or any of it? They're pretty cool. They, they uh... It's like the introduction of the news into the story. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, you've, you've seen news, these new monsters. G-N-U. No, just, just N-U. Oh, yeah. But you've seen them a few times throughout the game, but there's a lot of them in the Zeal Kingdom for some reason. And, like, it's pretty cool, like, this connects the dots, how these creatures have just been there throughout the entire history of mankind. Yeah, they, they exist in every time period. Aren't there theories that they're the same ones? I don't know. Yeah, I just really like how it connects everything. With the exception of prehistory, of course. The Zeal Kingdom era, just it it's like left its fingerprints on all the other eras of the game. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, unless I'm mistaken, every era that comes after it hosts at least one displaced character from this era. Because Magus got sent, well, Janus at the time, got sent to the Middle Ages. Melchior got sent to the present. Balthazar got sent to the future. He was another guru. He gave you the time machine, and then he had a role to play in Chrono Cross. And then Gaspar, the other guru, became the old man at the end of time. It's just really long-lasting effects, and that's why I think it was really smart to introduce it last of all the time periods. Well, when you put it like that, yeah, it really does make a lot more sense. Yeah. Cool.
Yeah, any any anything else? Like thoughts on the game? Yeah, any any last minute thoughts or anything? Uh the quest for the rainbow sword is fun. The rainbow sword or the rainbow shell? The one with like you have to keep this rock in the sun for Oh I don't think that's the rainbow sword, that's the sunstone. That's the one. Yeah, you have to fight the sun of the sun and it's in the future, then you have to go to prehistory, and then you have to go to this island that manages to exist in every time period. And, like, if it goes out of the sun, you gotta fix it, make sure it's back in the sun. It's not that much work, but it is just... It's the only side quest that really involves every time period. Yeah, that's what I like about it. It takes you on a tour, again... But it's worth it. Well, besides Frog and Magus's theme, any any favorite background music? Not particularly. It's all great. It is. I think my favorite would have to be the Undersea Palace theme, and of course the Tyranno Castle theme. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think for a third favorite, I'd, I'd just be a basic Bob and say that the boss theme is my favorite. It is a good one. Very intimidating. Uh, really, I, I'd be hard-pressed to pick, find a song I don't like for some reason or another. <laughs> oh, uh, Gato's theme. <laughs> there is that. Well, I, fe- I feel like we could have gone more into a lot of the behind-the-scenes and rumors and stuff, but... We got distracted by talking about the plot and stuff. Maybe, maybe if I ever talk about Chrono Cross or something, I'll work some of that in because I do want to. I do want to talk about Chrono Cross. It just I wanted to talk about Trigger first, and 100 seemed like a good place to do it. Sounds good to me. But I think we're good for now. Uh, Waluigi, do you have anything to say that doesn't have to do with Smash Brothers? Yes, put me in more fighting games. I don't know what I expected. Well, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, go follow me on Instagram. Tony the Taco Dude. I post pictures of my fat cats. You can follow me on Twitter, the BitCast, same as it is here. Just uh, be sure to follow the show on Podcast One's website and its app. You can also find the show on iTunes or Apple Music or whatever it is nowadays. Mm-hmm. See you on the next one. Here's to another 100 episodes. I'm sure the next one will be wonderful. Later, nerds. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.